Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And welcome to the Blood Valve Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, got kind of a, a heavy topic, and we have on our show with us a friend of the program, uh, Josh Chamberlain, who has actually been a guest on our show uh, previously about a year or two ago. And uh, he and I, uh, and Amy, we were struck by something that happened this week in the news, and we wanted to kind of have a, um, a frank discussion about it. And it, it kind of stems from an incident that occurred in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota where uh, a black, an African-American man was, uh, I guess, involved in an incident in which police were called. And when the police came, they arrested him. Uh, he was handcuffed and eventually actually put on the ground. He was, it was said that he had, been, uh, at least to some degree, resisted arrest. No, and so I, when and the I, op- I think I sh- we need to be clear because videos come out from this. He was, he, they called because they, they said it was, he was involved in a forgery, which means he's right. using someone else's credit card. Yeah. And um, they, there's video of him walking out of the restaurant with in handcuffs and sitting down on a curb, and then somehow that ends up him on the ground, with an with one officer holding his legs, one officer holding his body, and another officer's knee on his neck. Now, you which can, lasted for seven minutes. Seven minutes. At least seven minutes, and you can he is on the ground, pleading to at least get off of his neck so that he could breathe, because uh, again, uh, reminiscent of what happened to Eric Garner in New York. Uh, he said he could not breathe, mm-hmm. and and the video shows was taken by some passerbys who saw uh, what was going on, and they literally uh, start to uh, you know record this entire incident, mm-hmm. and eventually he loses consciousness, and the next day he passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, not since even then, the next day it was he, right when he yeah, went to the hospital. Yeah, at the hospital. So he goes. Uh, it, it turns out that the four officers involved in that arrest have all been uh, fired from their jobs. And the mayor of Minneapolis went on television, and you could see how upset he was. This is a white fella. And he basically, as, as a, a very millennial-esque, he said, this, uh, the situation of unarmed black men being uh, killed by police is really messed up, which I thought was kind of a, an overstatement, but an understatement at the same time. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't know what to say. He was, his words failed him mm-hmm. to explain how tragic and unnecessary and just... Uh, you know, enough of what we've seen over and over and over again over the last several years uh, involving uh, incidents with police officers going to an extreme that seems to be just uh, beyond uh, comprehension. And so we wanted to have Josh on, and I want to ask him, um, so Josh, first of all, how old are you? I am 26 now. So uh, you're 26 years old, you know, a a young adult man, uh, you know, making your way. When you first saw this, uh, what, what were your thoughts? What did you feel when, uh, when you watched the video? Well, you kind of have to divide into two different, um, views for me. Um, and this comes from my, I, my reasoning ability, I think, 
But first, I, um, because of being black myself and knowing kind of how people react to these videos, you kind of have to say, okay, I have to put myself in everybody else's situation first and say, I hope, you know, all the details are here. Amy's seen some of my posts before and kind of seen me do this is the, well, before I react, let me see, you know, let's hear, let's see if the full stories here. And then, unfortunately, um, it seems that in a lot of these situations, uh, the story is pretty clear um, with what happened between an officer or this unarmed black person, um, that they are unarmed, that they aren't doing anything that's um, out of the ordinary or more aggressive than anybody else would do in a situation. And then you have to step back and say, okay, I'm a black man that's going to comment about this or share this post, um, and it's going to be taken differently than how other people think it too. So all on the very initial feeling of it, I have all these processes that I have to go through already just to be able to feel like I can post it without getting the backlash or having the post took seriously by what I say with it as well. Um, and I think, I think it's kind of stressful to, I'm trying to be very calm and, um, I'm with you there. Not, yeah. <laughs> and I'll get frustrated about just that alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's all stemmed from a murder. I have to take back and step back and look at all these things that I have to do as a black man posting about it rather than just being upset, angry, sad. I can't just be those right off the bat. So even the reaction has to be um, controlled because of who I am. And I just think that alone speaks a lot to um, the situation. And I think if you were to ask other people when they're reading Facebook and when they're doing mm -hmm. social media, they would agree that they see those people like me or um, somebody else that is similar in their opinion, color of skin, posting about these things, they disregard those posts more than um, somebody that may not come from where we are, which is really interesting and kind of sad because we're the people that are experiencing it, yet our voice is probably the least heard in this situation. Um, well, if that makes it, sense. Absolutely, Josh, it does. I have so many thoughts because I've watched you on Facebook and you've watched my discussion on Facebook. Yeah. We've interacted with each other and and you've seen how it's gone well and how it's gone terrible, right? <laughs> yeah, um, recently. Yeah, terrible. yeah. And so um, I think that I wonder if you would have this reaction if you lived in a predominantly black community or if you weren't a member of a basically a mostly white family. The only other black yeah. person in your family is is black, is your brother, and um, I think sometimes we were you worry. I see you worrying, as a mom, I will say, mm -hmm. um, about the impact this will have on people that you care about, that they might be defensive or they might take it personally or it might be aimed at somebody that in your friend or family group. Where I don't have that concern. My concern is more: is this my right to talk about this? Is this my right to? Um, so I have similar concerns because I'm not, I'm never going to have this experience, you know, but I, um, 
I have the opposite one, which is people thinking that I am doing it for posturing, right? Right. So you've seen some of that, but I, yeah. I wonder if, if you, do you see people reacting differently where you're, you're down in Florida right now? Is it diff, is it any different, or do you think it's a universal um, feeling that you have to be careful when you're responding to these if you're black? Yeah, I mean, I think universally, I think that some people don't have the same filter, which I think is good and um, can be also a negative. I don't feel like people have to apply the same filters like you're saying, depending on the community. Florida is so, I mean, they get flipped every time, all the time with politics. So they'll vote, you know, for a liberal or a conservative president, just depending on how the people feel. So you have a much more open dialogue here um, or there. (laughs) I'm here right now. But um, so I think that definitely is true that a community can change how somebody feels like they can speak about something, which speaks a lot to our current, um, our current politics and way that this system is working. And maybe that is a good leeway into this. And it's kind of something I've been saying because I feel like it breaks it down really easy. And that's that there's not a right and wrong. I don't believe in this and I'm not an extremist, but I believe that there's a right and there's a racist or there's a right and there's racism. You can't choose to be on the right side and also do racist things or say racist things or feel racistly. You don't get to combine those two. And people for a long time have been doing those things. Um, It's okay to be slightly racist towards this group because of this. It's justified. But I would never be a racist. And people have made those excuses, especially in the recent um, elections, in the recent, I feel like, years. That's been kind of the thing is, yeah, let's put away the actions of somebody and some of the words of somebody and just focus on this part. And that's, if you did that for anybody, you would find good in somebody, which is great, but that doesn't negate the things that need to be worked on or things that need to be changed as well. When we come back, I want to continue this discussion because I got a couple of things I want to bring up to you and kind of get uh, your opinion. Uh, Josh is a friend of our program. He lives in holiday. Uh, as it turns out right now, he's down in Florida helping his sister move back. Uh, and that, uh, because that's what good brothers do. Uh, and so uh, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion. It's kind of heavy, so if uh, get ready, strap in, because there's a lot of good dialogue that's about to happen. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we're speaking with a friend of our program, Josh Chamberlain. He's 26 years old and a resident of Holiday. And um, uh, like myself, he's African-American. And uh, though, Josh, your story is a little different. You uh, were adopted 
uh, and in your family here in Utah is is a mostly white family. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, and can you just give people a little background for uh, for their uh, understanding, so that uh, yourself, you have um, uh, you grew up in an LDS family, and then yes. you have a, a, and also an adopted brother who also happens to be African American, right? Right. And, and uh, I have. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, no, I say and talk us a little bit about the rest of your family. Okay. Yeah. So my mom and dad and my two sisters, um, they're all biological to each other, and they're Caucasian. And then my brother and I were adopted um, a few years after my um, second sister uh, was, she was probably, I don't know, I think we have a five-year age gap. So we have a decent age gap between us. And then I was about two days old when I was adopted. My brother was a couple weeks old. And then, yeah, we've lived and, in Holiday, and, Utah ever since. And you and your brother are not biologically related, right? No, we are, no, we are not. Just for everyone, because oh, right, right, right. if we share photos or whatever, if you, right. know, I, I, you get that question a lot, I know. <laughs> they think we're, they think, if you see pictures of us, they think we're twins most of the time. And they do so, not look like twins. <laughs> you'll see we're not twins. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and, and are you guys the same age? Uh, no. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> He's so like how, two years uh, younger than me. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Josh, so, uh, I just want to ask yeah. Josh, I mean, what are your, how do you process, who do you process with? How do you process this? Like, how do you feel right now? You know, I go to a lot of paper now, <laughs> paper and Google notes. And I try to just get it all out on there first so that it doesn't, when it does come out of my mouth, it doesn't sound too, um, one-sided or unrealistic and I I process with people a little bit but I do feel like I have to get my own idea out there first for me to even process it before I bring people in then I'll process with my brother um, and yeah I feel like that's mainly my processing group I regularly read him my processes <laughs> to see what he <laughs> thinks I even read him I mean I even read him some of the things that I was going to that I want to talk about today. Um, and so just to see it, do you think like this is too strong or do you think this doesn't give the point that I'm trying to make all that stuff? Cause I feel like you really do have a, you have that voice that you need to reel in and make really strong and potent. So mm -hmm. I feel bad that you a have feel like you have to moderate what you and what you feel. Right. I mean, I think right. there are definitely reasons to stay open-minded and listen to all of the, like you say, listen to all the information and get all the facts. But I feel like your reaction is an emotional reaction and that's yours and you're entitled to that. And and I, I guess I also just feel, um, I, I, want, I, you know, I feel, I don't know. I just feel sad. I'm just not going to lie that, that you just can't express how you feel in fullness, I guess, right? If it's anger, if that's frustration, if that's fear, whatever it is, I, I, I just want you to feel free to do that as a, I don't know. Right. <laughs> so like, how do you, when you, when you think about these things, man, and you, you've had these experiences, you and my, I and every other uh, African-American person have watched incidents where in this case, it turned into death. 
and that happens mm -hmm. too frequently. But then there's also those other situations like in the Starbucks or at a, uh, we, this more, more recently in Central Park where the guy was asking the lady to put his dog, put her dog on a leash. Mm -hmm. And she essentially did. She 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 knew that if she called the police and she specifically used the words, an African-American man is threatening my life. Yeah. Right. She wanted the police to come and arrest this man in a way and, and, and hurt and him. Put, and yeah. hurt and potentially hurt him because no. she knew no, she that this was going to put them at a heightened alert. Absolutely. Yeah. That somehow he was being violent to her when we all see that that was totally not the case. Right. So in a situation like that, let's let's back up for a second and, and step away just for a moment from the Minneapolis situation. When you when you watch that as, as that's uh, unfolding and uh, fortunately, the guy was able to videotape it. What were your thoughts as you were watching that, Josh? Well, that that's actually really interesting, because for me, that particular situation leads back to like a few of my long term deep beliefs. And one of them is black people are not more angry. They're not more aggressive. They're not more loud than anyone else. But movies, shows, and the media depict black people inaccurately that they're that way. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's able to play on that, whether they're talking to the police, whether, they're, um, whether they cause a fight, and they can play it off that this person got so mad so quick, and everybody's like, oh yeah, that's just how they, I mean, that's just how they are. That they always go to that. It's just, it's not a, it's not a, racist thing it's just who they are it's the genetics and it's these things like that that I'm like that's where that idea I think stems from personally this idea that you can call the police and say something like that there should be no different reaction to that than if I say anybody is in a park trying to hurt me mm -hmm. I mean that shouldn't cause any different police reaction but the fact is we know that that is doing that and she knows that. And she didn't learn that in your, her house from her parents. She's learning that from our current day media and our current day way we depict people. So we have to change something in our system educationally and um, overall to get away from that. Because that's not an old method. An old method would, it, it's so, that is so thought out. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's scary. Absolutely. Is that that's a pointed attack. Mm -hmm. She knew exactly the words that she was choosing would elicit a certain reaction. Mm -hmm. And that's what she wanted. And, and interestingly to me, you know, because I always feel like, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what people do. They see uh, a black person and they call the cops and then the cops come and co-sign on it by behaving in the manner that they expect them to. Right. And so this case, even in New York City, in New York City, the cops didn't even show up. And then, yeah. uh, which is really shocking, but then when they got there, not only uh, what did, uh, she was fired by her uh, employer, which was Franklin Templeton, an investment company, and then who, who claimed that they don't uh, tolerate racism in any way, which, you know, I can understand that. But more importantly, she lost the dog right. because the agency that she had, uh, you know, adopted him from said, you know what, we can't have this. Yeah, well, she actually voluntarily surrendered the dog after yeah. getting, they got a lot of grief, and I'm sure they reached out to her. But I, I want to go a little deeper on something Josh said. I think that you're right that there are these underlying social sort of beliefs. And I, there was a, a, a black gentleman with dreadlocks who put out this video basically talking about himself, you know, right. what he did and didn't like, who he was inside, right? And one of the things he said that just made me cry was, I, it, it breaks my heart that I would scare someone, you right. know? And I, I think that uh, we just need to, I think we all need to, but definitely white America needs to re-examine why we have some of these reactions we do. I look, I think 
the stark difference in protests after the Minneapolis situation, there have been protests two nights in a row. And uh, the protesters the first night, there were not armed people. They were just regular, ordinary people carrying signs. And they got met with tear gas and they were shot with rubber bullets. There were reporters who were shot with rubber bullets who were trying to film the, the protests. Um, and then you see armed white men and women storming the Capitol in Michigan. Um, over, with guns. With guns. That's what I'm saying. AK and threatening the mayor. And threatening the they, mayor. They, the, the person in they charge. Threatened the yeah, governor. the governor. Sorry, yeah. the governor. And they threatened lawmakers. And they and and uh, and they were in the face of officers. And, and they hit some of them. Some of the women hit officers. And nothing. And no reaction. And, and as uh, Sarah Silverman put it, they acted like the Queen's Guard. You know, they yeah. didn't move no right. matter they did what not they move. did. Yeah. Right. And and I just think if you can't and, and not you saw on my Facebook page, Josh, yeah, where people were arguing with me about this. The comparison I'm making is this. You can do what you want in America for the most part if you're white. You can yell at cops, you can ask why you're being arrested, you can question authority, you can protest. And you can have a gun. You can resist arrest too, you by the way. You can wear a gun wherever you want, right? That's right. And, and, and to some degree, you can resist arrest, right? There's, we've had numerous examples of this recently. And thank God for video, you know? But, but, but if you're black, you can't, you can't exercise constitutional rights like owning a weapon, carrying a weapon, having a concealed permit, or protesting without serious fear and serious right. risk. And I don't think that if you can't at least acknowledge that's the reality we're living in, I don't I just don't even know how to have any of these conversations about how to fix it, because we're not even right. acknowledging the reality that we're living in. Right. When we come back, because we, uh, we, we've gone a little bit long. I want to continue on this uh, this thread here about how do we uh, learn to react in a way? How, how do the police learn to react in a way that they don't escalate things and it doesn't have to result in, in violence? particularly when the people that they are in, uh, encountering aren't necessarily instigating the violence. Uh, you're listening to Voices of Reason. Hello and welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee along with my broadcast partner, Amy Donaldson. And today we're speaking with Josh Chamberlain, he's a, a resident of Holiday, Utah, and like myself, African-American, and he, we're talking about circumstances uh, that arise from interactions between people of minority descent, particularly African-American, and uh, law enforcement. And uh, this was kind of, uh, it was, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, prompted by a situation that happened in Minneapolis in which a man who was uh, allegedly forging uh, trying to use a, a, somebody else's credit card in a store was arrested and eventually uh, handcuffed and pretty much uh, roughed up by police in a, in, a, in a very violent fashion and was uh, held by one police officer with his uh, knee on his neck for seven minutes. Eventually, he died from his injuries. And this is just the latest in a number of different situations in which uh, people of African-American descent have been treated very violently by law enforcement in a way that if the situation involved uh, Caucasian uh, people, whether in protest as it was in Michigan or in other situations, just in uh, individual situations, it is handled very differently. And so uh, what we're trying to do is have a conversation as to why this happens, why it's not acknowledged more. Amy brought up a situation where people don't want to acknowledge that when uh, white people behave in a certain manner, 
no matter, even if it's the exact same as a person of color, they are treated very differently with a, a much less um, uh, physical and uh, visceral reaction and given leeway uh, to, to say and behave in ways that could never happen if these, perp- if these people were uh, African-American, uh, Latino, or, or other people of color. Josh, I'm wondering if you have thoughts about why is it so hard? You live with white people, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and you love them. They're your parents and your siblings and your, I'm sure, your, family. your cousins. Yeah. yeah. Um, why do you think it's so hard, because I struggle with this, for white people to acknowledge that... Um, that they that we live in two different worlds that it that we enjoy freedoms and privileges that, that uh, people of color do not. So just two things on that. I think from the streets, all the way through the system to the courts, there is a precedent already set because of American history, mm-hmm. of how these situations are handled, of what the true underlying issues are. And so no matter how much we speak about it in a way that is supposed to be positive and uplifting, um, I'm, I am a proponent or advocate that there is a systemic problem for this reason. Well, we have Black History Month. We use that in America. Um, when in reality, when were black people not in America with white people or Caucasian people? Well, the answer is we were here at the same time. We were brought at the same time. And so I sit back and I say, aren't we just American history as well? Why do we use this Black History Month? We use a month to take care of anything that America's done for black people or because of black people or to black people. Well, that alone classes you. Mm -hmm. It declasses you. Now you're a secondary You get a month of time, and we're going to focus on slavery and three main figures in a black life and world, when in reality, these people lived from the time America started till now, Mm -hmm. doing things that are just as important and just as powerful as all the other people we talk about. But that's not the story that we give our children. That's not the story we give in the education system. So why would the system change if at the very beginning we already lay out you should feel guilty for this, and you should feel guilty for this, blah, 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 blah. Do you and think you go it's in that? Do you think thing. people feel guilty? Because I see people all I do. the time. I, don't, I never had slaves. I'm not racist. And I, oh, yeah. I always say, it's not about you. Stop. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would take it a little bit farther. I would say racism is actually in, uh, it's woven into the fabric of every system that we, we deal with. Healthcare, education, right. um, this criminal justice. There isn't a system that you could show me that I can't show you the ways in which um, black, pe- black Americans and also in a lot of re- situations, other people of color have been completely disenfranchised by the system. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time down on the Navajo Nation and I'll tell oh, you, cool. it, you see a lot of the same, the same sort of second classing, the same sort of right. othering that is happening. That, that it's just it's just the system is built. I, I say this about the gym all the time. Jason knows I hate the gym and I hate weight like you know <laughs> weights that are already set up. Right? What are they called? Yeah. The machines, the, yeah, the, the weight machines. machines, right? And I hate them because they're built for like a six foot, two hundred yeah. pound man. They are not designed with me in mind. You know, a five right. foot four. 130-ish pound, you know, middle-aged woman. And so I don't like to 
to use those things because they're not designed for me and I have to figure out ways to make, to adapt them to my to what I need. And I feel like that's the system we're asking of everybody. The system was designed for me and people who are like me. And so I'm asking you all now to adapt to what to a system that was not designed with you in mind. It was never meant to serve you. It was never meant to be for you. Right. To benefit you. No, so I when think you that makes a lot of sense. When you uh, talk to your brother about this, what do you guys, what's, what's the discussion between you and him? Well, my brother and I have a lot of differing opinions in politics and in social issues. I mean, I think we talked about last time I was on here that he didn't feel like he got the same amount of things going on around him um, that he would consider to be racially charged. But I do think that while I didn't point it out when I was younger, and the more we talk, the more we find things that were. Um, he just, the other day, this is a great example of modern day in that they've shared a pyramid now. And I'm a proponent, I like this pyramid that people I are sharing it. because yeah. it covers about 10 things that people really know are racist and about 100 things that people kind of allow <laughs> every day. And we were walking a house, I, I'm a real estate agent now, and I was walking through a house for my sister we were looking for. And the real estate agent um, turns to my brother kind of halfway through the tour and she says, I'm just wondering what sport do you play? Which who doesn't get that in Utah, especially when you're black. You're black. Um, and he says, well, I play volleyball. She's like, well, I think you look more like a basketball or football player. And he's like, well, I played volleyball for several years and I'm a coach and I love doing that. I've been a refing. And she's like, she's like, I just think you'd be a great basketball star. That's just my opinion. And I kind of turned to him and I made that face like, I don't know if this is just a, uh, if I'm overreading this because nope, I don't get that. I don't get that choice. I don't get a choice to make something racist, mm. <laughs> but I'm sitting here like that sounded pretty, that was pretty direct to me that that was, why would you say that about you out of everybody? He's a taller than me. He's much more built than me. <laughs> and yeah, he does look like a athlete, but I know a lot of people look like athletes that you wouldn't go up to and assume that they're playing a sport. <laughs> I don't know. It was very interesting. And that's just the daily. So he's starting to see more of it actually in his older years. Whereas me, maybe because I was a little older, I could hear it and see it easier. Mm -hmm. And he was, and I kind of, you know, you try to protect people from that because you don't want people to be fearful to walk down the street as a 15 year old kid. Uh, Trayvon, you don't want people to have to worry about that in their childhood. That's not something that should be a thing. And yet it is. And it goes all the way through your young adult life. I'm 26 and I look at these, some of these guys and they're turning 26 this year or they would have been, you know, 25. Right. And it's just crazy to me to think that this system that should be protecting all these people um, has let them down in a big major way. And I think that's just sad and unfortunate. And I, I'm, and with that said, I do think that there's not the awareness and this last issue um, has brought it up more, but the awareness that needs to be seen from everybody. And I have loved the interaction of my friends with this issue finally than from the previous issues. A lot of silence, a lot of silence. And now I'm seeing more posts. I'm seeing more 
shares, I'm seeing more anger towards this system that they're seeing and finally seeing is not a fair system and it never has been. And so that's refreshing in a way. It's mm-hmm. just 2020. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I worry. Long, yeah. yeah. It's taken a long time just to get a little bit of traction in some yeah. of these things. And I think it's our, our friend, Dr. Well, I, White. I don't want to keep, I, I got to, uh, we got to, uh, Come back, okay. and I promise, Amy, you'll start off. Okay. Uh, we, we want to continue our discussion. This gets a long way, but and I want to keep us on time. Yeah. This is a great topic we're having uh, with Josh Chamberlain, a, a friend of our program from Holiday, uh, and we're talking about the circumstances involving just uh, how African Americans are treated in America, particularly as it relates to law enforcement. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, speaking with Josh Chamberlain, friend of our program, and we're talking about uh, just some of the situations that have uh, occurred recently involving uh, African-American, unarmed African-Americans and the police, which have resulted in some tragedies, which basically has been a harbinger of what has been a problem for so long in our country. And uh, at least more recently, uh, to, to Josh's uh, understanding, that people have become... This may have been the, uh, the the chord that is struck that makes people more aware of the disparities between how uh, people of color are treated and how uh, Caucasians are treated in the same circumstances, particularly as it relates to law enforcement. Amy, you had a point you wanted to make. Yeah, I just wanted our, our friend Dr. Wyatt would want us to distinguish between racism. Hey, Paul. Uh, hello, Paul. Uh, racism and um, and racial bias, and yeah. and a large part of this is racial bias. Right. Right. And that the systems are designed with white people in mind. And some of that is just just has led to bias over time. And the reason I love that pyramid that you talked about, Josh, and and we'll try to share that in our show notes. I'll send you a link, Jason, Mm -hmm. um, is that it people think of racism. And I've I've had this question even from people I work with, like, is this racism? Is this racism? And I and, and what I always say to them is like when people are suffering discrimination, that's what we have to focus on and not labeling it, right? Because we think of racism as, you know, uh, people wearing blackface or using the N-word or dressing in white hoods and, you know, burning crosses on someone's lawn. There's right. all kinds of ways to do harm to people and it's exhausting and it's killing, it's literally killing black people that we won't address these issues. Um, I just listened to an amazing interview about why black uh, people are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. And some of the issues with the underlying health thing is just the exhaustion and the physical toll that dealing with racism um, takes on a human being. If you had to live in fear of this or deal with this every single day, uh, and I know some of my friends have said, I'm tired of dealing with it, I'm tired of hearing about this. Imagine this being the potential for your day every single day, right? Right. And so I think it's important to distinguish that. We're not saying everyone out there is, everyone who's white is racist. <laughs> no. But I'll tell you, I am. I have racial bias. I've said things that are I would consider racist if they came out of someone else's mouth because I didn't know better. And when someone pointed it out to me, I understood it and I changed it. And I apologized for it and I figured it out. And I and I looked at where it came from in my history, right? And that's right. my responsibility as a white person. But we will never dismantle the racist and the and the and the prejudice in the systems if we don't. If white people won't like at least acknowledge that this reality is re- it's really killing people that we love and care about. Right. And Amy, that reminds me just 
something that I believe full heartedly is I don't want a colorless America. I sometimes hear <laughs> I don't see color or I don't want there to be seen a color to be seen. And I think what people are saying um, is I don't want to see what color creates um, the presumption of because a color of somebody's skin doesn't create who they are. It's a part of them. And I've talked about this before. The culture behind race is not always the same. Yeah. You can come from the South and be white and like the same things that somebody comes from the South and that is black. You can be raised by a white family and a Christian family in a predominantly white neighborhood mm-hmm. and have a, the same culture as everybody in that neighborhood, even if you're black like I am. But the social class is not a race. You can't use a social class as a race. You can't use a race as a social class or as a complete culture. That's not fair. And I think that's what happens as well with what you're talking about a little bit is that people could presume that being racist or having um, a bias is not seeing color or giving up on the idea that there are these differences. And there's sure, for sure, physical differences. I'm not saying to ignore that or to disregard that. That would be foolish. But Mm -hmm. to recognize that that doesn't mean what you initially think it means because of the media, because of something that you... Or whatever. It just you yeah. don't know people till you know people. Exactly, and that's it. Period. So, Josh, uh, we only got about a minute to go. Uh, okay. I want to kind of fix this. I want to get your ideas. What do you? What would you like to see happen in terms of the relationship between uh, blacks and whites, and particularly uh, blacks and law enforcement? Yeah, I think a great opportunity that I just had in talking to somebody over my Facebook. Um, I have a lot of friends that are police officers that. I have conversations about, um, actually one even in Cape Coral, but I'm going to be going on a ride along with one of my friends in Utah here soon, which I'm pretty excited about, um, because I think it's important. The most important thing in all of this is understanding people's worlds. It's that we can go back to the oldest, maybe one of the oldest things about relations, which is walking in somebody else's shoes. And you can do that to some extent. You can learn about somebody and understand where they're coming from so that you don't have a bias. And I don't want to have a bias towards police officers. I do get a little bit nervous in situations, and I want to try to get rid of that by understanding their processes. So if I can understand their side of things, then I can do my thing on my side without an issue. So I feel like that helps, Um, and I feel like that can be the same thing. Uh, I think that can be a place to start. It sounds like a little bit crazy, but go spend time with people that are different than you in race and culture and see what they have to offer, because I'm sure you'll find something that is positive and that's beneficial to your current life. So listen, thank you very much. Uh, Before we go, I want to suggest two books for people to listen to or to read. They're on uh, Audible because I've listened to both of them. Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. Uh, we have had her on. She her, her experience as a white person growing up in uh, New England and in the Boston area, and she's uh, become an advocate of exactly what Josh just said, interacting with people different from yourself so that you can learn more about yourself and more about how other people live their lives. And another book called White Fragility. It is by uh, Robin D'Angelo. And again, it, it gives people an understanding of, if you're white, how life is different for you than it is for uh, people of color. And Jason, and, uh, just let me add... It's not uh, your black friend's responsibility to educate you. Please read these books. Please do your own work in your own life um, before 
uh, asking pe other people to do it for you, to educate you. I think we excellent. And uh, join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Forces of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. You can check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.